you gotta go to the dollar store. Dollar like, there's store. no better place to go than the dollar got store. It. Got and it. clearly, I'm one to go there. Very proud. Dollar store and proud. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Needing Dough, the podcast presented by Uninterrupted and Chase. I'm your host, Andrew Hawkins, but you can call me Hawk. Here on Needing Dough, Uninterrupted CEO Maverick Carter sits down with your favorite athletes. They talk about how they learn to manage the life-changing amounts of money that becoming a pro athlete can provide. And that's where I come in. I'm a former NFL wide receiver and graduate of Columbia Business School. I'm also the director of business development here at Uninterrupted, and I'm going to bring you the personal perspective on how these lessons from legends translate to you in your life. Before we get started with this conversation, featuring the one and only Serena Williams, Needing Dough the Podcast is presented by Uninterrupted and Chase. New episodes drop every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. So I have no shirts with cufflinks. I try and get pants with no belts. But be a stylish guy. And now, I am pleased to welcome none other than Serena Williams. You already know about Serena. 23 Grand Slam titles and singles, four Olympic gold medals, and she and her sister Venus, 14 and 0 in Grand Slam doubles finals. But before all of that, she was just a kid from Compton who loved tennis. So let's get to it. Here's my man Maverick and the queen of the court, Serena Williams. Glad to be here with you. No one's ever really had a conversation with athletes about you're actually more, better and you make more money when you're younger. Younger, yes. Right? Exactly. Have you ever thought so about true. that? Yeah, you know, it's so true because the life of an athlete typically is really not long. Like most athletes' lives are, you know, from anywhere from three to 10 years, which if you think of a career, a businessman or a businesswoman, um, that's just the very, very beginning of their career. And just they, getting good. To you're use. just starting out. It's, it's, and it goes by so fast. So it's really interesting that that is our pinnacle point. Um, but I think nowadays there are certain athletes and certain people that are able to brand themselves in a different way and to extend their, their brand and extend who they are. And, um, have a longevity over that. And I think hopefully that'll be the goal for most athletes in the future. But I think right now, um, for certain types of athletes, that's definitely what it looks like. What is it actually like to be that young and come in to money? Most people right. don't have that experience in life. I don't. Yeah, most people don't unless there's very few elite people that have the experience of getting a million dollar check at a teenage age or, you know, at 20 years old. It doesn't really happen that often. And sometimes people are thrown into these situations where they have to have responsibilities and, you know, it it's all comes on, on so fast. So you have to have a lot of, um, you know, education in terms of how to handle it and how to handle yourself and how to be able to sustain it. Exactly. And when it's it's just like all these tough financial decisions are thrown on you. But the first thing, obviously, it starts with for an athlete is you're just playing your sport because you love it. You don't even realize or think about, oh, this is going to be how I'm going to change my life. And I'm sure for you, did it start out? You were just playing tennis because you loved to play tennis and wanted to play and didn't yeah. even think about yeah. like, oh, this is going to financially change my life. I just love the sport. Yeah, I've actually never played for money. 
I never even knew all the stuff that came with it. The, the sponsors, I never knew um, handling and working with different people and different companies. I just thought you would go out there and you would hold trophy. Not once did I think about a check. In fact, I was infamous back in the day because I've been playing for a really long time. But Absolutely. When, um, when, we, when I first turned pro, you would you had to go pick up your check from the... You mean like you'd win and yeah. you had to go to the office? They yes. would wire it to you. No, not back then. Yeah. Not, not in the early 2000s. So, <laughs> so I would have to go pick up my check, but I never, never picked it up. So at the end of the year, uh, my well, business... You wouldn't even go get the check. No, I never thought about it. So at the wow. end of the year, my business manager would have to contact all these different tournaments back in January and March and... And they would have to like get, get all, all the, the money. Yeah. Finally, like the tournament directors would literally hand me the check because I would never go get it. I just played for the love of the sport. And I still just, play. And you wanted to win. You just I wanted to win. win. I wasn't thinking about anything else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it became an easier system now that it's wired. This automatic. Exactly. For you don't me. have to think about it. I don't it. think about it. I probably would still do the same thing. Was there a moment when you actually realized, were you a kid? Were you young? Or did you become one? Well, you realize, like, wait a minute, people do get paid a lot of money to play sports and specifically tennis. Well, I've always realized it, but it just actually had some meaning to me in terms of like, oh, okay, you do get a lot of money to play sport, and I'm really kind of fortunate to have this job. But I've never been that person. I don't. I don't like to put a stipulation on athletes and say I've never been that athlete. Yep. I've never been that person that has been. Um, really about all about the money. Yep. So I've always been more well-rounded and individual, and clearly it has never been my priority. Got it. But you obviously have become one of the greatest athletes the world's ever seen, and you do make money to play. Was when did you learn about money? All well, very those things? early, early on, I learned a lot about money. I learned that well, my dad was always so hands-on with me. He said, I'll never take any money from you, like a fee or anything, but what you have to do is I'm also not going to direct you into what you spend and what you don't spend. It's going to be your decision. Like, this is your life, your decision, awesome. your money. So and it put a lot of pressure on me. So I was like, okay, what do I do, you know, with the, with the check? Like, what do I do with the money? Like, my first check that I ever got, it was mine, and he didn't take it, he didn't touch it, he did he, he was just like, here, this is yours, it's your mail. And I was like, oh. So I've ever since then I've been so hands-on with everything. And you know, when you're getting a million dollar check at seven, sixteen, seventeen, it's like, you know, you have to make big big decisions. Absolutely. And I was forced into those decisions by myself. Absolutely. So um I feel like now if I have I I, I made a good decision of having a good team around me, like um the Joe Smollers and stuff. So they know when you have a good team, you don't have to worry about them stressing you about anything. What was that feeling like when you got that first million dollar check? And you you were what, 16 or 17? I must have been 16. And yeah, I was 16. How was the feeling and where were you at? Were you guys I still living? Exactly in... like Tell it was me. yesterday. I was <laughs> I was going, um, I was driving in Palm Beach Gardens on US one highway, and there was a McDonald's there, and I think I may have I've been going to McDonald's, but <laughs> I digress. <laughs> Get some fries and have a I digress, and I remember I went through the drive-through to deposit my check. And I, I don't. It's probably I just put it in the bank. I never touched it. 
Never touched it. Never touched it. I just put it in the bank, and then they were like, I think you need to come in for this. And so I ended up going inside, and then, um, yeah, because I already had an account. Of course, yeah. So I was just like. <laughs> just put it in my account. <laughs> just, just put it in but my account. But did you, like, stare at it for a while? Or did you, like, I should have took a picture of it, and, like, you know, like, the selfies holy, didn't exist back exactly, then, Exactly, right? selfies, yeah, exactly. Like, there was no camera. Yeah. What year was 99? 99. You so. must have been, like. Oh my goodness! Like, and did you? I don't remember feeling that. I just remember thinking, I need to put this in the bank. Like, almost, I felt anxious. Like, just put it away. Just put it away. Get it in the bank. Get it in the bank. But your dad, he kind of let you learn that on your own. Did he advise you? Here's the people you should or shouldn't use, or he kind of let you got let you figure it out as you were going. Yeah, he introduced us to people that we should use, or if, if we wanted to. Again, it was it was always our decision. And um, just being a woman, it's so important to be able to make decisions and to take control and a lead in your life. So I thought that was really cool that he did that for, for me and my sister. And growing up, did you guys struggle? Did you have money? How was it growing up like? What yeah, was it like? You know, growing up, I'm the youngest of five. Yeah. Um, I, I never, ever, ever felt broke. I never felt like I was poor. Looking back, <laughs> I'm like, wow, we lived in a two-bedroom house oh. with seven people. Wow. You know, it was, I How never had a bedroom? bed because <laughs> it was always the bunk bed. So I, I would have to, every night I would either sleep with my mom or Venus or one of my sisters. Yep. You never thought about it, though. But I think that was really cool that I never felt I never felt like I wanted for anything. Like yep. If I wanted dolls, my dad would always take us to get dolls. And so I always felt like I was fine. I never, but again, looking back, I was like, you know, wow, I don't know how my parents were able to make me feel that way, but they did. And that was really something really special. So yeah, yeah it's, it's really been, so I never felt when I came into money that I needed to go buy this because I, whatever I had in a way I never wanted anything. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's so crazy. Like we used to share a chicken between seven people and, you know, we each had a, we each, <laughs> <laughs> we each had a, like a, a part, like my mom and dad would get the breast and my sister would get the leg. And it was like, I don't know how it happened, you know, <laughs> but it worked. Of course. It, it, when you guys broke into the tennis world, it was seen as a bit of a family business. Mm -hmm. Your dad was your coach forever. Yeah. Your sister and you both were pros. Your sisters, your other sisters were around and everyone knew them. Yeah. And there's always this talk also about like going into business with family is tough. Mm -hmm. Did you feel any of that or see any of that or was it just naturally it worked out? Well, it, it worked out. My sisters are always really smart. My one sister's a lawyer. So um, she is even working on something for me right now. Nice. You know? So... Um, so she does legal work for you now? She does legal work for me, but it wasn't about forcing herself into the business or into our, into our business or into our lives. And so, and my other sister actually is very visual. She's like really design aspects. We work a lot on designing. So, and of course, Venus. Um, so I think it was, I've been really fortunate to have Venus because she's super smart. I feel like each one of us kind of made our own way and kind of stood up for us. So we never relied on someone else to, to help us too much or take care of us. But like the lawyer, she does things and she, you know, she's brilliant. So it, it kind of all works out. Yeah, it works. That's awesome. I mean, it was always seen that way. It was like the Williams sisters and your dad 
And when I first learned, it was always like a family affair, which I thought was awesome. Obviously, LeBron are like brother and brothers, but we're like family. I've known him forever. And people put that on us too. Like, well, how do you guys remain friends yeah. and do business? And it always exactly. it worked out. It, it works out because you're doing your thing and he's doing his thing and it works out. Exactly. There's no stress or no pressure. Yeah, but you know, a lot yeah. of people have this like, thing that like when you do business with family they get expectations yeah it gets hard people think it's unfair and family can be tough now that I do is have, very true yeah. i do have family members that are tough but you guys it seemed to always work out and work out yeah. the right way and we're always really close too so we're always raised to always put our sisters first and our family first so our family is super 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 close but also they work and so it's and they do their own thing as well. So they have their lives and it's, it works out. Did you guys have other family members kind of outside of your immediate family who were demanding yeah. things or had expectations of you Honestly, guys? Honestly, my mom was so protective. That's and you great. know, my mom is <laughs> very tough. So uh, my mom's super protective about that and um, she would never allow that to happen. So yeah, my mom was, yeah, she, you don't want to mess with Orsini, like so, yeah. yeah. I call my mom the CEO of the family. Yeah, so exactly. So any issue with the family, I say, take it up with her. I do that, too. And if it gets to I, me, then I'll deal with it, but she's the CEO. I do that, too. If I'm uncomfortable, I'll be like, I'm going to tell my mom to call. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so she, like, is super, super tough. It may have worked out for Serena and her family, but it can be real hard to work with family and friends. When I was on the New England Patriots, I had a teammate who decided it would be a good idea to hire his older sister as his business manager. Now, she didn't take advantage of him, steal from him, or anything unethical like we've heard horror stories about in these kind of arrangements. But she was so used to the hierarchy of being the older sister that it was difficult for her to take orders from her kid brother. They were constantly at odds and butting heads, and it was just a disaster from the start. So... Much like hiring strangers, if you're looking to go into business with family or friends, first examine the existing relationship and make sure it's already shown the potential to be productive for business. That being said, there are perks to working with family. Serena and Venus were able to support each other while they led the charge against the wage gap between male and female tennis players. You and Venus also talked, and it was interesting to me, and it kind of led the charge on the, the men versus the women pay thing. Yeah, it was really tough because there's a lot of issues besides the, the pay, equal pay rights. But also, um, it was really hard because I've been working since I was two or three. You know, I didn't really have a childhood. I didn't have... Because you were playing tennis, Because I was really? playing tennis. And do I regret any of it? Absolutely not. But you sacrifice so much, just as much as the guy next to me that's training every day, but he gets to be paid more. And it's like, well, I'm working just as hard as this guy, actually sometimes harder. Of course. Um, and why why do I have to get paid less? So if I have a daughter and a son, do I? how do I tell my daughter that you guys are both, you know, professional tennis players, but because you're a man, I'm gonna pay you more. How do you explain that? Exactly. And so I could never really understand that. So Venus and I definitely did a lot of work and trying to get equal pay and you know, and it took some a long time. And so at the Grand Slams, it's definitely equal. Um, other tournaments, it's almost there, which is 
fine too. We're getting there, but it's work in progress, and yeah. we continue to, to fight the good fight. But when you started at the Grand Slams, it wasn't equal, right? It wasn't equal when, when I started. Yeah, I, uh, it wasn't equal. Yeah, it's hard. Like the it, U.S. Open has always been equal, yeah. which has always been something that I've been really proud of, and especially being from the states and having our own Grand Slam be equal like that. That really meant a lot to to yeah. me. But the other ones weren't equal, so it took a lot of work. But to get them to pay equal amounts, but now it is, and I think that's good. Um, and it just speaks to just society, you know. It's 100%. we're doing so much better, and we're so much further along. And I was just like. Now is the time to just grow wings and, and truly fly and not just have the wings. Yeah. In 99, you got your first Grand Slam um, by winning the Open. When you got that, do you thinking back, um, which is incredible, again, to think that that was 18 years ago, you got your first Grand Slam and you're still doing it today. That's, that is greatness. That's, that's actually the definition to me. But was there anything after winning that Open and getting that Grand Slam, was there anything business-wise that changed? Did you notice anything change for you or more doors open for you after that? I definitely feel after I won my first Grand Slam, a lot of more doors open. Um, I was on the cover of SI, and then it was just... Because I also, you have to understand, I played with an amazing sister who's great in mm -hmm. her own right, and um, I was kind of in her shadow, so... Um, everyone was always looking at Venus because she was so great. And so no one really expected me to win a Grand Slam first. I did. I definitely didn't. Um, so it just went from Venus to Venus and Serena, you know, and yep. it was just a totally different conversation yep. instead of just being Venus. So that was different. And then, like, I started getting more endorsement opportunities and, um, you know, talk shows and stuff like that that I never had before. And... Um, it was completely different, and it just started ever since then. It's just been a part of my life. Yeah, so that first, that U.S. Open win obviously empowered you to become who we now know as Serena. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what it did. Yeah, so. it did. It empowered me to be who I am, and it made me realize that, you know, I'm different, and um, and I'm great in my own right, and, yep. and that's kind of the beginning of my journey. And... You're one of the greatest athletes to ever walk the earth. Um, you know, right up there with the likes of Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods and Muhammad Ali and LeBron James. And does that competitive transform when you look at them and like, I want to be held like them or, or make the same amount of money as they do or have better endorsements or have make as much money as them? Do you, do you take that same competitive as a woman off the court also? Absolutely, just for um, sheer will of wanting to be equal. Because if I were a man and my name was Seren Williams, <laughs> you know, it would be maybe a different story. And that's just the tr brutal truth. So um, I feel like because I am a woman that, you know, some titles aren't granted to me or um, some opportunities aren't the same. But that's okay. Like I said... Honestly, at the end of the day, I feel like if I'm able to open the door for the next person, that means a lot for me, too. And hopefully they'll be able to do better than me. Because really it's about doing better than the person before you. So yeah. I feel like at 
that is really what's most important for me. And to be a pioneer for that is not everyone has an opportunity. And I really am happy that I have that opportunity. Yeah, I think, I mean, you've definitely done that. If I say, who's the greatest athlete in the world? Women don't pop, pop into, into people's into head people's mind, yeah. at all. It's automatically. But if I were a guy, then it would. But you've like, accomplished more or just definitely just as much and more, more than most of them. More. More. Let's not more. get it twisted. More. Absolutely. <laughs> more. I'm fine with that. More than them. But they, but it doesn't just because you're a woman. Yeah. It's like, well, how could she be the greatest athlete in the world? Yeah. But I feel like a lot of that is definitely changing. And I definitely think it's popping in people's head a lot, a lot more. And so that's good. And like I said, maybe for the next person that wins 28 Grand Slam titles, that's a female it will automatically go. For the next woman, it will definitely be different. Hopefully, that's that's the point of the world, right? Is that we keep progressing and moving forward. And as you said, that we all make it better for the people who are coming. That's what I believe. I believe sometimes people get too caught up in their own struggle, but they don't realize that the reason I'm here is because of like the Zena Garrison, Althea Gibson and Arthur Ashe and that had such a much bigger struggle than I'll ever even dream of having or even dream to even know. So for me, um, I feel honored that I can, you know, be a pioneer. And like you have so many amazing black pioneers from Martin Luther King to Malcolm X that that are the reason that we can even have some of the freedoms that we have. Absolutely. And like so for me, I think I never get lost in my struggle. I just kind of embrace it and enjoy it and just think of the next person that won't have that struggle but can think of me as a, a, the way that was able to open a door. Have you had young athletes come to you for advice or talk to you about things of that nature, whether it be how to manage their career, how to do things off the field, off the court, or how to do anything like that? Um, yeah, whenever I see any athlete, they kind of geek out, which is really kind of <laughs> cool because I'm just who I am. You know me. I'm really, really simple. And um, yeah, so it's just really cool to see these young kids come up and ask questions. And sometimes they get really nervous. And I'm like, listen, ask any question you want. Not a lot of them ask about financial questions. Um, but a lot of them ask about entrepreneurial things, mostly just about how do you do it and how do you... How do you become a great professional athlete? Like, how long can you be the greatest at what you do? And that level of sustained greatness is kind of, you've defined that to me. And in doing that, you've also done it off the court, too, and business and things like that. So it's interesting that young athletes come to you. Is there anyone, was there someone as you were coming in to tennis and started thinking about, life off the tennis court. You knew you wanted to be the greatest player in the world and you're very competitive, but as you looked at what am I gonna do off the court, was there a blueprint or someone you saw that you were like, that's kind of how I want my thing, my business off the court to work? Well, honestly, the only person I really wanted to be like was um, Billie Jean King, because I felt like she did so much for women in general from starting and helping with Title IX to, um, which is how, I mean, that that alone is enough. But to starting and helping with the, the WTA tour, which is the tour I play on, and from demanding equal prize money, which is why the only reason why the U.S. Open was the only Grand Slam that, play, that paid equal prize money was because of her and, you know, 13 other women that got together and they, they said, no, we want equal prize money. So I just really felt like that leadership that she took 
um, and that philanthropy role that she took and that I feel like I almost forget about the titles that she had. I always forget that she was won like 13 Grand Slam titles and she was an amazing player because she did so much more than that. And she did so much more for women in, around the globe. Yeah. And so she was someone that I always looked up to. And um, if I could even come close to that, I would just, I wouldn't even think of, I would ever be on that level. But if I could just go in that pathway is what I've always wanted to do. You always wanted to be like, handle your business like that off I, the court. I've always wanted to handle that. And then my, my dad was a really big influence in my life and saying that, um, listen, you always have to have something outside of tennis, tennis is going to last 10 years. Of course, 20 years later, I'm still playing. <laughs> Boy, was he wrong, I right? Think, I think you got another 10 or 15 left exactly. if you want it. <laughs> right? I'm like, no. So I'm like, so at the time, you know, I'm thinking, okay, when I'm 28, I have to make sure that I'm set, that I have other things going on, that, you know, I'm, so that always encouraged me, and that always started, one of the things that started me with one of my companies, and to keep continue to go from there. Serena obviously has a lot of tennis left in her, but she makes a good point. As an athlete, or anybody for that matter, it's really hard to have that kind of foresight and figure out what your next move is going to be. My journey to the NFL was super untraditional, and I actually began my pro football career playing in the Canadian Football League. Now, if I'm being honest, I knew in the back of my mind there was always a possibility I could get cut and never play ball again. So, after my first season in the CFL, I got a resume together. I interviewed with two NFL teams as a scout. I interviewed with a college football team as a coach. And I auditioned as a host for a local radio show. I ended up getting a really good job offer, and I strongly considered hanging up my cleats and started my second career right there. I had an older brother who convinced me to stick it out one more season in Canada and then see how I felt. And as fate would have it, that one season catapulted me to a seven-year NFL career. The moral of the story is always have an idea of what your plan B could look like. Now, Serena's tennis career is nowhere near being over, but her investment career, well, that's just taking off. And that's right after the break. You've obviously always had interests outside of tennis. I read where you said, and I know you, that you need something besides tennis to stay yeah. sane. Yeah. So you've always had interest. At what point do you take an interest and make it a business? Like, because we all have different interests, right? Like, I'm interested in food, but I don't own a restaurant. I love food. I love wine. I don't own a well, wine. the only thing I'm interested in are businesses. So Got it. Oh, so the are... only thing you're interested in, you, if you're interested in it, you want to go turn it into a business. Yeah, absolutely. And I do. So which is just fashion and well as as well as entrepreneurship. So And how and how often are you thinking about these things? Is it daily, hourly? Definitely daily, especially daily? with fashion hourly. Hourly. It's that's interesting uh, business to be a part of. And uh investments and in companies daily because <laughs> it's always, you know, a new pitch or a new something or so uh those are very, very uh daily thoughts. What are the determining factors for you as you look at businesses to invest in? Well, for me, um, investments are really important in terms of 
Um, obviously, how is the deck? You know, who 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 are the other investors? Like, what does their portfolio look like? What does their past look like? Have they been successful? Or are they a brand new company? Um, is it a good product? Is it something you believe in? I never do anything that if I don't really believe in the product, or I don't really believe that I would personally use the product, yep. then maybe just for the sake of um, honesty, I probably shouldn't be a part of it. Yeah. If I don't feel it, then maybe. You know, I shouldn't do it. You know, so there's, and I always call investments high-risk poker, and I don't gamble. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't like to gamble, but this is kind of the way to look at it because, you know, it's what it is. Of course. Yeah, you're taking a chance. You really are taking a chance at every every investment you decide to go in, no matter how big or how small you you enter. How do you choose between... Okay, I'm just going to put money in this thing and know. I'm sure yeah. there's investments that the world doesn't know you're in, but there's some things you go, okay, I'm going to put my some money in and put my face against this. Yeah. Too. Well, I would say 90, 95% of my investments are silent. Of course. I um, invest in a lot of stuff, <laughs> but I don't like to talk about it because I, um, you know, I just feel like in due time, when the company gets better, we can discuss it. It's more internal. Of course. If they want to, you know, go to other people and say, like, you know, Serena's involved in this and that. And plus, in the beginning, I wanted to get my feet wet. And I really was like, okay, this is something brand new for me. You know, I don't want to just be saying, oh, going on TV, talking about what I did and what I didn't do. Never really been that kind of person in general. Um so, and plus, I feel like in order to be seen as a serious uh, business person, a serious uh, investor, or whatever you want to call it, you have to, you know, kind of really know what you're doing. And so I really wanted to learn more than anything, learn about what to do, investments to make, you know, made some mistakes, made some non-mistakes. Um, and so I felt like that was really important for me as well. Um, yeah, so I kind of still stick to that model. Yeah, and and is there one that sticks out in your head that was a your favorite or the best investment that you made, or one I, that you love? You know the most? what? No, because I'll, I as a competitor, I just keep thinking about the ones that I missed on that I had an opportunity to do. <laughs> like shit, like, oh, that you one. know, like yeah. God. But you know what? You never, you can't, you can't miss what that. you don't have. You first of all, do, exactly. And you don't know. You yeah. really don't know. It's really crazy, but I always think about those. Like, ah, oh, sometimes I still get frustrated, but it's okay, you know. And is there any that you're like, you did it, but for whatever reason, you're like, I wish I didn't do that one because absolutely. There's a there's there's a couple like that, but that's okay. Um, it is what it is. But you learn. Like I learned from that. Yeah. You know, I've, I've learned had those too for sure. You know, a don't either don't invest a lot early on, you know, invest a little or you learn, you live and you learn. I think sadly, you kind of have to have those experiences in order to, well, you don't have to, but it's it a way to look at yeah, it <laughs> um, in order to kind of move forward. And before you make investments, do you like spend, get in there and spend time with the management team and the people who are going to be running the operation in the business? Yeah. And what I've done now is I've developed a team that's specifically only investments and they just work strictly on that they work strictly on meeting with companies meeting with different portfolios meeting with different VC firms and then um, deciding from there like is this good for Serena of course I'm maybe too (laughs) hands-on so I'm super super involved 
Um, but more on the backside where they don't really know I'm involved as much as I am, but I really am I'm the one that's kind of telling them what to say and what to do and what to go back with. So um, I really like that position and I enjoy it. But so we've built a team now that does strictly that. And my fiance is in Silicon Valley. Yeah. I've kind of had a cheat sheet, yeah. which is a little bit of unfair advantage. Yeah. So he always be like, okay, this company, you want to invest in this. Look at this. Take a look at so this. it's been like, I've been cheating a little bit the past couple of years, but it's been great. Yeah, you you got a little inside it. That's good. That's that works. And what part of it do you love the most? Do you like getting in with the management, helping them with it? Do you like when it's a success? Some people like the process. Building. You like building. I like like building. I do. I I feel like if I believe in something, I really like to build on it. And and I really love believing in some of these companies. You know, so that for me is my favorite part. Seeing it go from nothing to something yeah we have a couple portfolios now that are doing really well and it's really cool was there a point in your tennis career or as you're playing did you realize stuff just starts coming to you more and did you ever think like i need to take advantage of it right now and move quick or are you like oh, i can just i'm gonna take my time and do the things that work for me i've never thought about taking advantage and moving fast because i know for a fact that i'm here to stay Serena, the brand, um, and just me as a player, as a company, everything. So I never felt pressure to be like, I have to do this now because I'm not really as good as I am. So <laughs> <laughs> there's some so, some athletes take that approach. But, they get nervous, you know, or they're represented. Sometimes they have to, you know. But I feel like I've been so fortunate that, you know, I just kind of live my life. And like I said, you know me, I'm really simple. Did you realize, was there a moment when you realized like, whoa, life is, now that I have a million dollars or millions of dollars, life is different for me now. Like I can do things that I've always wanted to do and I can, no, was, I there, never felt that. was there a moment you realized like shit has changed for me? No, I wish I could say it did, but it didn't because I was 16. I was in school. I was in high school and, you know, I was also traveling like eight months out of the year playing tennis. Like my life was on the court and my life was like, okay, I want to win a grand slam. I want to win a grand slam. It wasn't about being at home and living this fabulous life. It was more or less about being on the road and playing tennis and trying to beat these players and trying to beat the number one player and trying to win a grand slam. And so it was, I'm kind of fortunate that it was, it was that way. So I had a totally different experience than someone else. Or any, a lot of other people. And when did you realize that, okay, I get a million dollar check, put it in my bank account, but I owe the U.S. government like half I know. Of it. When did you realize, because at 16 or 17, oh, that doesn't compute. Or, it did to me. I mean, because, I started making money at like 23 and I didn't realize that. Yeah, no, it made total sense to me because, um, I don't know, my, I think my mom was and my dad were always like, you got to pay taxes, you know. You never want to be caught up not paying taxes. I've been kind of paranoid about that. Like, I always want to make sure that I'm in the clear. Like, I don't want to. Of course. You know, so that's been always something, too. So, um, yeah. And plus, I'm not a big spender. I'm, yeah. a, I'm more of an investor. Um, saver? You I'm save? definitely a saver. But what am I saving for? I don't know. That's what I, I agree um, with that. I agree. I'm trying to figure I mean, I don't need a lot. A yeah, so I'm more of an investor and... I don't, I don't know, I don't live this lavish life of, I need to buy diamond faucets. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good, that's actually funny because there was like, 
People were surprised. There was a picture of you coming out of the dollar store. And I don't know if you saw it, but people were super surprised. I was yeah. like, no. the Serena, For the I record. Know. I mean, like, but you're a normal person. If you like. For the record, I was there as a plus one. Oh, oh it wasn't. You were rolling with. But I've been known to go to a you dollar were, store oh, so you, because. Who were you rolling with? You were rolling with With someone? one of my best friends, yes. So, but by the way. Did you get anything? I helped her out because let me tell you, the dollar store has the greatest party things. So she was throwing it party. Oh. And so like if you need like plates or you need like um what else? Like anything. Yeah, like, like napkins. Napkins, and like confetti. Or exactly. All that type of party. It place. is the best place to go. So if you to want to plan, throw a party, you gotta go to the dollar store. Like there's store. no better place to go than the dollar Got store. It. Got and it. clearly, I'm one to go there. I'm very proud. Dollar store and proud. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, I was like, listen, I mean, I didn't see, but people always assume that because you're one of the most recognizable names and faces on the earth, you can't do normal things. Like, yeah, yeah. No, your, like, I... To your point, if you want to throw a party and they got good party stuff for a decent price, why can't I want? Well, they actually have the best party stuff. Yeah. They have the, like, literally, they have the best stuff. You know, you can clown the dollar store all you want, but even if you're not looking for napkins or confetti for a party, it's important to always be thrifty, even when the money's coming in. For example, I won't let my wife get rid of plastic grocery bags. As a matter of fact, every place I've ever lived in has had a cabinet full of them because I'm so used to using them for so many things. I might use them for mini trash bags. I may use them to carry a lunch. I may even use them as makeshift disposable gloves. The point is, being resourceful directly correlates with getting the most bang out of your buck. Being smart with your money is hard. And all of us, even dollar store superfan Serena Williams, have guilty pleasures or bad habits when it comes to spending money. Is there one habit or one thing that you used to do when you didn't have money, and now you have money you still do, that like, I can't shake it? Like, Something you I don't do. know. I, I've never had cash. Yep. I've never had cash. I guess I grew up in an age where it was all credit card or on your phone. So I never have cash. Ever. 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 Like, if you come get me, rob me, you're going to be very disappointed. <laughs> so. As I heard a comedian say one time, you just be practicing. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I just, I don't know. I'm, live, I'm this millennial. I'm really into technology. So... So one of the things I do is I'm always whenever I, well I'm usually with Jill Smaller and uh, <laughs> she has cash always. I owe her hundreds of thousands of dollars. Because <laughs> she owns you. She... I'm like Jill, I gotta get this guy a tip, or I'll be in valet. I'm like I and I love to valet, and I never have cash. So I'll be like, oh Jill, can I get twenty dollars? <laughs> or my dad, like the other day I was going, I was at my dad's house, and I was going to the taco truck, and I was like, oh my god. I don't have any cash. money, so I went back to my dad's house. Like, Daddy, can I have like twenty dollars? <laughs> and he gave me like a hundred dollars. Like, no, I really only need, need twenty. 20 like, just keep it. So, so maybe That's these people—they really, may have a running I never tab had on cash you. Growing up, they, have a, they may <laughs> I have know, a running I hope tab they don't try you. to come cash in one day. The one day that Jill and your dad are going to show up. Like, remember that taco truck? Remember yeah. that ballet? I know. My mom always gives me money. Like, I'm—I don't know. I'm not good. I just don't. I just live on like. You know, with, now you can have Apple. Of you have Apple Pay on your phone. Apple you pay. pay, you pay as you go. You credit yeah. card, you wire the money. Yeah, I don't. That's funny you never use it. 
because I never had it either. So you never had it. When I got it, I just still never. I never bothered to get it. Is there like a guilty pleasure purchase that you just can't stop buying? Is it whether it's it could be purses, it could be some kind of food, it could be travel. Is there a thing or things that you're like, yeah, damn, you know, I want to stop? I have the weirdest that. one. Um, <laughs> it's property. <laughs> Yeah, that's really random. So how many homes, properties do you have? And where? I don't know. A lot. A lot? Yeah, it's uh And you never sell? Some people do get that thing and they I just I know they them. like go and sell. I don't sell a lot. And when I do I regret it. Oh, I'm still regretting that one sell. There was one you um, sold? I did. I should have never at? sold it. It was on the water. In LA or here? In Florida. Oh. I know. See, I know. What was I thinking? There's a rule you should never sell beachfront because they're not making any more. Right? Yeah. So that is probably one of my biggest regrets out of everything. That's probably one of my biggest regrets. Um, but yeah, I do. I love to look at property. I love to go into property. I love homes. I love land. I love stuff like that. But that goes it's back really to you're random. an investor. It's random, but you're yeah. an investor. Real estate is a great investment. It it's is a great, great thing investment. to buy and So hold. it's not like, and I always, I always justify it by saying, um, well, I always justify it by saying, oh, it's not like I'm losing money. I'm just putting it in a different account. It's, just, it's sitting there. With maybe more interest. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of how I justify it. Yeah, and you can see it. You can drive by. You, you can, can see it. it. You can, you know, rent it or, you know, it's. And is it all residential? Is it some commercial? Is it some. It's all residential. And do you yeah. buy some that's homes or just land? Sometimes I have you have lots. So I have some lots and then I have homes and I have lands in different countries and if I like a country I'm like oh I want to live here it's, you know it's <laughs> that is it's a random. good problem to have because problem. like I said it's like it's investing it's more of an investment it is investing but yeah it's, it's not like buying it's at least an asset yeah. that will will should and has a great chance of appreciating majority it's not of like the time, cars. it's very low risk it's, it's a good guilty pleasure it's a good pleasure. guilty pleasure that I have to buy yeah, yeah. is there ever something that you bought What's your worst thing that you bought? Something you bought, you're like, shit, I wish I wouldn't have bought that. Like, why did I just spend $2,000 on a, that thing or buy that? Is there something that sticks out in your head? You're like, I wish I wouldn't have bought that. I mean, that. I bought some expensive bags, but I definitely don't regret it. But you, because you got the use out of them? Yeah, I definitely don't. I don't think there's anything that I really regret. I just, um, I'm not, a, you can tell I'm not a huge spender. It's good. So, that helps um, you, that's, that's why you're going to hit your goal for sure. <laughs> Yes. I don't know why. I just, I'm really simple life. That's just who I am. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like if I, if I did buy something, I don't really regret it. Got it. And I'm usually I'm really happy when I get it. You feel good about it and you use, mm -hmm. you get used to it. I mean, I do it. buy a lot of costumes, but they're not really expensive. Like Halloween costumes? <laughs> yeah, but for different like dance performances. Dance performances. And stuff, and so. like that. You like costumes. But I really like those too. So, yeah. And you, and they're not that expensive. Anymore. No, exactly. So, but do you? Are you usually one? If you are gonna go buy something, whether it be an expensive bag, or real estate, or whatever, do you mull over the decision, like really think it through, or do you just sometimes splurge and go like, I just gotta have that. I'm well, if it's it. if it's something tangible, like a bag or something, I just buy it. But if you just go like yeah. spur of the moment. You don't, I don't plan it because I don't feel guilty because I don't really spend a lot of money. Yeah, I, you, you'll. I, I'm not. I don't know. I just 
I like to do other things. I like hanging out with my family. I like reading. I like, I like you know, just being around people. I don't really, the craziest thing, I really don't like shopping. Now as you've become older and you know a lot more about investing and how to manage finances, and as you said, like when you were younger, you just put that million dollars in the bank. Is there advice that you would give your younger self, like do this or think about life this way? Or You know, everyone always asks me that question, but would I give my younger self advice? And outside of invest in Apple or invest in Facebook. <laughs> like a small example, you know, Google. Exactly. Or invest in Google. Or just, start Facebook. Just put all your money. Put exactly. all, give all your money to one of these people, Mark or Zuckerberg or something. Just trust me. Exactly. That's probably the only advice I give myself. That but, would be great advice. <laughs> but I really think that in life you have to have experiences and um you never really know, and you never can really live your life unless you have these experiences. Yep. So I never, I always say I wouldn't change anything because I think that's important. I think it creates who you are. You know, it creates the who you are is integrity and everything. And if you give yourself even one p bit of advice, it could change everything. And that's why when you watch these movies, you're not supposed to go back in time and talk to yourself. As you think about your tennis career, now you're going to have a child. Like, have you thought about how that affects your tennis career as far as time commitments? Because obviously you do do a lot of, you have brand partnerships, you do commercial shoots and appearances and tournaments. Have you thought about, are you going to like let, bring those, dial those back some? Have you thought about a child in your tennis career and how, how it will affect that at all? Yeah, I haven't thought about it a lot in my career at all. Mm -hmm. I've always been really, <laughs> <laughs> really one, one direction kind of individual. Um, but I feel like having a child is really opening new doors because I feel like I can understand parents and especially mothers. I feel like I can understand, you know, even more companies and just, it, I honestly feel like it opens a whole nother um, right. aspect of business opportunities and even like looking from child food, like I'm really a health nut, so I'm like, I want to make sure my, my baby eats really healthy. And yep. so it's like that just all new other opportunities for that you've never paid attention to. That I would have never paid attention to. So yep. it's uh, it's really interesting. and But most of all, I just want to give the baby lots of love. Absolutely, of course. I know and that's what matters mean. most. So that's And obviously your child will grow up much different than you did. Yes. There won't be a seven people in a two-bedroom apartment. No. <laughs> Um, but have you started to think about things that you want your child to learn that you didn't learn as a young age that you that you've now been able to learn that you will teach your child? Honestly, if my kid can grow up exactly how I did, I couldn't be happier. Yeah. I, you know, with the values I have and that I would love to give to my kid, the values that my parents gave me. Um, I think that's most important, and I think everything comes after that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you really start with just building a great human being, great spiritual background, and honestly, I couldn't want anything more than that. What I had for my child, yeah, even more so. So, and is there is there anything specifically financially that you'll teach your child that you wish you would have learned earlier? Um, yes, I will definitely teach them um, more. Well, since I'm an investment person, I yep. would definitely teach them the importance of that. Um, you don't necessarily want to bury your talent, so to say, because it doesn't really grow as much. And teaching them how to make things grow, very work very hard, 
because life isn't easy, even though their life might seem easy. But I'm just, I think it's really important to build that that ethic of work, of hard work, and yep. you know, the desire to want to just be something and just to be a leader and to just be a positive individual for the community, yep. I think is so important. So that's definitely what we're going to teach baby. Absolutely, absolutely. But you know, the one thing I admire about you is that you've made money, you have more accomplishments than any other athlete walking the face of the earth. But, and I know the minute you get back on the court, you're as competitive as ever. And I, you have always remained and wanted to be the best tennis player that you can be, which is the best tennis player in the world. No matter how many accomplishments, no matter how much money you get, what is it that keeps you doing that? Because obviously, as you said, you've never played for money. You've won every tournament, so you, you've already accomplished that. What is it that keeps you wanting to kick people's ass in the tennis court? I love what I do. I've always loved what I do. And I think it goes back from my first year on tour where I just never picked up my checks because I did it because I wanted to be the best. I loved what I did and I never, never wanted to do anything else. And I never went out there and played for money. And I think that athletes that genuinely do that just tend to be greater and better. Yep. And so that's why... Yeah, for me, and I've never changed. With doesn't matter how big of a contract I got, doesn't matter what. I just I'm almost even more hungrier, and also I hate to lose. And so for me, those elements create who I am, and that's yep. that's why I'm Serena, and that's that's just who I am. And do you hate to lose more than you like winning? Like there's there's always this thought of like yeah, but I I feel like I made that up. Maybe I feel like I, I heard made it that somewhere. Up. Do you hate losing more than you love winning? Yeah, so that's my famous saying. I. I hate losing way more than I love winning. Like yeah. if I win, I forget about it. And I won the French Open not too long ago, and I was like, "Oh, this felt like winning Cincinnati." <laughs> but I lost the next year, and it took me very I months to get that. over. That is greatness thinking, and to most people, that's like insane to think that way. Like you yeah. win the French Open, it's like that's a big deal. It's huge, and you're like, "Yeah, I'm moving on with my life." But then if you lose it, like that's, I just love that. That's what keeps you being. That's what keeps me going because I just can't stand to lose. You, you don't want to lose. And that's in life. And like even with some of the investments I miss out on or that's why it's important for me to really enjoy the product and love it because that way I'll at least feel better about it. Because not everything is going to be successful, you know. Of course. But that makes me feel a lot better. Did you ever have a goal like, I want to have this much money or I want to... I do. I definitely have goals. I have financial goals. I never talk about my goals. But, but you have them. I absolutely have financial goals. And you think about them daily? I don't think about them daily, but whenever I enter into a new deal or a new contract or a new partnership, I want to make sure it aligns with my goals. But yeah. I, I have really, really big financial goals. Big I, I know I'm going to reach. Yeah. That you... And you've always had them, or do they change? Like, because sometimes as you get more and more successful, you're like, I'm getting better at this. So that goal I used to have. I've only had one goal, so. From how, what age? Um, Mid-20s. Mid-20s. You've yeah. had one goal from Early mid-20s. Early to mid-20s, yeah. And you feel like you're well on the way, on pace, behind pace, over pace to reaching it? I'm definitely well on my way, and I've always reached all my goals. 
I, I believe you will reach them. Yeah, no, I will. And that's the thing about having goals. You have to believe in them. You just can't set a goal and don't not be realistic. So I believe in my goal, and I know I'm going to reach it. And when you reach it, will you then tell the world what it is, or you still keep it to yourself? Yeah, I'll definitely and tell it, but that's what I always do with my goals anyway. You keep it to yourself. I wait till I reach it, and then I talk about it. So, so when you reach it, you will let us We'll have another know. conversation. Is there, and obviously the Williams sisters, you and Vanish, you and your sister, made tennis, like, interesting to places like we're from. And obviously, as you said earlier in our conversation, the thing that you're most happy about and proud of is laying down what's going to come behind us, what, what people behind yeah. us being. As you think about, like, kids and parents from places like we are getting their kids into tennis, is are you, how, do you, how does that make you feel to know that, like, now kids from where we're from are thinking about tennis? And, yeah. uh, and obviously yes. you guys, yeah, I think you and your we, sister started that. Yeah, we really were able to change the sport and bring different viewers, like you said. You started watching and... You know, just different audience into tennis and um, more excitement. And you're, you're right. If we, you know, continue that or get more people like us to be in tennis, it would be even more exciting. Um, those are just facts. And so I feel like hopefully we can get, keep getting more people into tennis. But Absolutely. it's kind of cool when you see other people, especially young girls that look like me, and say that they're the reason why they're turning pro or they are pro and that means a lot. You know, obviously we want to get those young guys to say that too. Of just course, to make yeah. it even more exciting as yeah. well um, on both sides. So I just feel like, you know, we have a little work to do, but it's a great feeling. It's and really such a good feeling. I'm sure. And you and your sister really start. I mean, I didn't pay any attention to tennis. I knew Andre, as I say, because he was cool and he had a sneaker with Nike. <laughs> but I had no idea if he was even that great of a tennis player. But mm. the Williams sisters, the reason... That I pay attention to many people who look like me and come to places that we come from, yeah. started paying attention to this yeah. world. Absolutely. So I, I, hopefully we'll continue to do that. And that's, that's the goal, you know, just to keep playing and have other people want to do the same. Amazing sport. It's a great. It's Absolutely. the best. Absolutely. No offense, but it's the best. <laughs> My daughter would, say, would agree with me. <laughs> okay. If you were to have a, a young daughter and she were to go on to be an athlete, whether it be tennis or anything, what would success look like for you in the future as far as equal pay or payment for women versus men? Um, wow, I just feel like for me, first of all, just any decision that my daughter would make, I'll be proud of it. Obviously, Absolutely. as a parent, you know, you're really proud of your kids. I'm proud of my, <laughs> I'm proud of my dogs. I can't imagine, <laughs> can't imagine I would be with a kid. You know, exactly. so I'd be just really proud of that. But also. Um, if my daughter were to play in a sport and she was able to have, you know, equal prize money or equal pay or equal equal rights, I feel like that would be a success too. And if not, I would really want her to speak up for it, yep. you know, and to stand up for what she believes in. And I feel like you um, are you're as loud as your voice and your voice is silent, then issues are going to continue to be silent. Absolutely. So hopefully then, well, any daughter of mine will have a voice. That's going to do it for this episode of Needing Dough, the podcast presented by Uninterrupted and Chase. You can check us out right back here in two weeks with gymnastics superstar Simone Biles. What's the best advice that you've gotten about saving money? Like, does someone okay, give you a great is, advice? Mm -hmm, this is kind of strange, but it's to actually spend more money. <laughs> really? Yes. Who told you this? Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen to your shows. It's free, 
It helps others find the show, and that way, you'll never miss an episode. Thanks again to our partners for this show, Chase. Head over to Chase.com and see what Chase has to offer. Our executive producers are myself, T.D. St. Matthew Daniel, and Ben Adair. And I'm Andrew Hawkins, a.k.a. Hawk, telling you what a wise man always told me. A penny saved is a penny earned.